Welcome to another edition of Politics the Dynamic. Berto Will is your host. Today we are continuing our series, A Better Human Story, with the one and only Dr. Andy Schmuckler. With us today, a prize-winning author, former Democratic candidate for Congress in West Virginia, Barry Red Shenandoah Valley, former radio show host, graduated summa cum laude out of the university, Harvard University, PhD awarded with distinction in a program specially created to accommodate his original theory explaining how civilization has developed and a frequent columnist in newspapers around the United States of America. Andy Schmuckler, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Hey, today's subject on our better human story, of course, is on that great piece that you wrote called The Fate of Human Civilization. And it's a pretty long piece, we only have about 35 to 40 minutes to get through it. So what I want to do with you is to get busy right away. And let's, let, let's first of all, give me the premise of your piece, because I think it's important. Well, I'm not sure which, I, I imagine what you mean by premise is that I think it's a toss-up whether uh, human civilization is going to be uh, to survive uh, beyond the next generations, maybe a couple centuries. Uh, I think um, it, it's a flip of the coin whether we're going to get our act together or whether we're going to uh, end the human story on this planet with a catastrophe. You know, I like the way you started your piece. You said the following. I think a lot about the fate of human civilization these days. The subject worries me because... After a half century of studying the destructive forces at work in the system of civilization, my gut feeling is that it is no better than a toss-up whether in the coming generations or centuries, humankind will get its act together well enough to prevent our civilization destroying itself. Catastrophe, folks, I, I imagine you're talking about whether it's nuclear war or environmental catastrophe or something. Let me hear those, it. those are the two main dimensions that I go into in, in the piece. Right. And, and I don't know where you want to go from there, but there are a lot of places. Go with it. Go. go with it. Go with it. Go with it. Well, first of all, I, I think we should start with the heart. Um, I care whether which of those two it is. Uh, I, I value um, what humankind uh, with our consciousness has brought into the system of life. Uh, and I, I also fear that we might take a lot of the rest of the life down with it. So the stuff that I consider sacred is really at stake here. And, and uh, it's at stake whether we have a nuclear holocaust or whether we bring the uh, uh, biosphere crashing down because we've disturbed uh, the Earth's climate system so profoundly. Now, you claim there's a new visible newly visible challenge. Talk to me about that. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, civilization is uh, 10 to 12,000 years ago, years old. I'm defining civilization as being when we left the niche in which we'd evolved biologically. It wasn't right away cities and empires. It was several thousands of years of being horticultural societies, herding societies and things like that. But anyway, it's only been, it's been 10 or 12,000 years. But only in the, actually within the lifetime of some of the older people still among us, has it become possible for humankind to destroy itself. 
So we've got a lot of history that shapes our minds that the whole issue of will we destroy ourselves has not been present. I mean, even World War I, which wrought, you know, killed millions, you know, it was a terrible thing. But there was never an issue about would the result of this war be the end of human civilization? That happens recently uh, with the Manhattan Project, 1940s, developing the atomic bomb. Uh, you know, the first the idea was to get it before the Nazis got it, but uh, that war was over before uh, we had the bomb, and and we used it to end the war in the Pacific instead. We couldn't have destroyed ourselves for some years to come because it took a while for the existence of the atomic age to generate what we had, say, in 1962, which was thousands of nuclear warheads and uh, you know, a variety of ways of delivering them. And the threat that surfaced in October of that year that the United States and the Soviet Union might throw all of them at each other. No. So that's a new possibility. Well, that would have yeah. Let me ahead. let me ask you something because you know we 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 hear we hear about I'm an engineer so I I pretty much know the answer. Uh do we really have enough uh nuclear nuclear bombs to blow the entire place up? Well, I I think there I mean I I did work in the national security field in the 19 right. Uh, 80s. Uh, it was my job to go around the country and interview the best minds on how to find security in, in, in the nuclear age. So I'm not just talking off. I'm not an expert, but, you know, I delved into nuclear uh, weapons issues with some pretty smart people. And I think there's a lot that's unknown about that. But I think that there is a real possibility that if the all-out nuclear exchange that was imagined with that doctrine of mutual assured destruction, that that, that kind of, a, uh, of an exchange would have ramifications uh, that would be enormous. I, I think the, the survival of life on Earth would be up for grabs. There's that extreme. Uh, but at the, very, at the very minimum, when you've talked about nuclear winter and, and you know, like, it's climate change on steroids overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have a record of what happened when the asteroids hit 66 uh, million years ago, and it took life hundreds of thousands of years to recover. So I think it could be of that magnitude, but there's a lot that isn't known and wouldn't be a good experiment to uh, well, we don't want to conduct that experiment, but I mean, there are calculations that we can make based, based on the amount of energy involved in each of these bombs, et cetera, and what would be released in the air. And some... uh, it what, what I, a long time ago, I don't remember when it was, I had made some backsheet calculations and it turns out, yeah, we could pretty much destroy the countries that we're targeting, but uh, there would still be, yeah, polluted life throughout the, throughout the world. But the Southern Hemisphere wouldn't be, wouldn't be hit all that bad. Reminds me of a movie that was very famous back in the Cold War years called On the Beach. Okay. Uh, they, they were people in a, with a submarine that don't know what happened are, are down in Australia where, where life hasn't been entirely snuffed out yet. Mm -hmm. but anyway. And um, then, it, then it starts to happen. So um, the disappearing middle through option, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, first, let me just say, there's a lot that's not known, because if we go back to the first Gulf War, 
when Saddam was driven out of Kuwait, he mm -hmm. set all these wells on fire. And there was a lot of concern about what is this going to do? You know, are we going to have a little ice age or something like that? Right. All that crap up in the stratosphere. They didn't know what was going to happen. As it turned out, it wasn't as bad of a scenario as they feared. Mm -hmm. But it just proves the point that when you talk about detonating several thousand, uh, you know, maybe 5,000 nuclear warheads on, this, on land uh, with, with all the, you know, a single big volcano can lead to crop failures around the planet. Yeah, that's, that is what uh, Krakatoa did, right? Yeah, so I think, and, and, and there have been minor versions of it since. Right. So anyway, I don't know. My impression is that nobody knows, but, mm -hmm. you know. Um, anyway, so that's, it's a new thing. Even the idea that we don't know that we might, you know, and the idea that we might be powerful enough as a bull in our uh, uh, ecological china shop mm -hmm. that we could actually devastate uh, the world of, of life, you know, our, uh, our, our cities underwater, species rendered extinct uh, in, the, in the thousands, you know, to have that kind of an impact and to see, you know, look what we're doing to ourselves, not to mention everybody else, that's also new. So it's since World, World War II opened the atomic age, it was about 1970s that people start, start to think about the potential that we could really blow it here uh, on Earth if we don't do better by the planet. So these are new ideas that we are not equipped by our history to think about. We haven't had to deal with that issue till very recently. Now, let me ask you something, because, again, our series is called A Better Human Story. And to me, a better human story would be for those in, the, in power to really realize that a nuclear, well, they know that, that a nuclear exchange is unwinnable and just prevent the possibility of these things occurring to just go ahead and say, uh, these things should be off limits altogether and we should all destroy them all, right? Well, that idea... Um has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm always, I'm always, you know, uh, I'm always skeptical um, that we would become more secure if we were relying on all the nuclear powers to keep a good faith agreement. So um, how to deal with nuclear weapons is a very complicated thing. The idea of getting rid of them is out there. I'm a little scared of it, but I don't know how it would work. But I have seen a lot of bad faith in this world. And we, we see it all the time. There's no country. reason not to believe that there would be bad faith in, in, in that regards. You know, the thing about it is, um, you know, maybe there's some other solution of not completely losing it all, but making sure that you get enough that you can hit, you know, a few people. But well, the kind of I volume that, that both Russia and America have is pretty ridiculous. Um, Russia has more nuclear bombs than the United States. But that said, even what the United States have is catastrophic. I, I think we need to reorganize uh, the civilization on, on, on a fundamental level. Uh, I mean, take for, you know, basically the issue, uh, as far as I, I see it, is you cannot have a, a, a you cannot indefinitely have a world in which things like the Cuban Missile Crisis mm -hmm. can happen. 
if you keep on playing that, it's the equivalent of playing Russian roulette and spinning the chamber again and again. You know how it's going to end up if you keep on doing it. One, one time there's going to be a bullet. There is going to be a bullet. And likewise, you know, when we, so a lot of the things that, that are contributing to this right now is, um, well, I think the main thing is you cannot have a world in which nuclear superpowers can go to war with each other. So maybe that means getting rid of nuclear weapons. I think it means creating a global security system in which um, basically uh, the, there is a means of dealing with things that has to do with like the rule of law on a global basis to, per, to replace what we have talked about previously, which is anarchy and the war of all against all. And the problem of power that arises from that, which leads to sovereign entities confronting each other like we could still do in Ukraine and like the Chinese and the Americans might do over Taiwan. I mean, we have not changed anything since the Cuban Missile Crisis. It could happen. And if it could happen, eventually that kind of thing, if, if we keep on spinning the chamber, eventually what can happen will happen. We need to reorganize that. We also need, I think, to um, uh, reorganize. I mean, uh, this is going another step, which is even harder, probably. But we've got a crazy man. Well, that's putting it a little too strongly. We've got a gangster mm -hmm. in charge of a nuclear uh, arsenal. And we had a man like Trump in charge of a nuclear arsenal too. And I, I'm relieved we survived that. I had no idea what a guy like that might do. I mean, there's a while when he was rattling things at Rocket Man out there in North Korea. I remember. Although yeah, the, the reality is I doubt, affair. I doubt it. Let me tell you, I, I doubt if Putin's people are the, the generals that work for, for, um, for Trump, two people I consider madmen. I doubt if they would have obeyed th those orders, but we never yeah, know. One hopes. I mean, I've seen yeah. uh, Seven Days in May and, <laughs> and those, those, those things where, uh, you know, um, yeah, one hopes. I mean, there was a time when, uh, when um, uh, the word went out uh, that uh, don't, if, if Nixon orders something really crazy, don't do don't it. Don't do it. Yes, because you know, well. without checking with me, I think that was James Schlesinger. He was yeah. in the Secretary of Defense. Uh, and, and uh, I think that there was a time also in this recent stint where uh, the, sec the, the, the uh, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Miley, sends out some messages, sure basically did. putting himself in the command structure where he doesn't belong because he was trying At to all. save. Yeah, the Joint Chief of Staff, actually. Yeah, I mean, it was a mixed feeling, but I was basically glad that he, he, he was willing to uh, get a little bit lawless in order to preserve the whole ball. Uh, anyway, so we don't, you know, the, the way the world is organized allows a disproportionate number of the major figures on the world stage to be human monsters. I don't know how many, what percentage of the population are human monsters, you know, at the level of, of Hitler and Putin and Trump and I, Mao. You know, and, I think I think I read somewhere what percentage of the population were psychopaths, but I don't remember big, what that number not, is. That's not a negligible, negligible number. Yeah, it's a, quite a bit, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's in the single digits. 
but there are quite a few psychopaths out there. And I, you know, it, it's amazing because I call this the super capitalists, I think, are the ones who are show those psychopathic behaviors. I, I don't know um, how many you know, that psychopathy, psychopathy um, uh, equates to being a human monster. I, a lot the human monsters are generally psychopaths, but yeah. there's a malignant quality uh, to somebody like Hitler. Uh, and, and, you know, like- Actually, I see what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. In other words, I, I consider like, let me give an example. I consider Jeff Bezos a psychopath, but he's no Hitler, you know, yeah, but- you know a regular psychopath is just not hindered by conscience right, uh, exactly. in the pursuit of what he wants. Yeah, but yeah. Somebody, what you makes a lot of sense. Yes. But somebody like Trump, what does he want? Well, he wants to dominate, humiliate, exploit. Um, uh, pick fights, you know, him getting, he's the, you know, the other word that's used for him is malignant narcissist. Right. Yeah. And, and a book about Hitler that, uh, you know, was fairly famous uh, 40, 50 years ago, uh, the psychopathic God. We're talking about people who are not just not bound by conscience, but are actively pursuing evil. Right. And, and, and there's the, the proportion of them that, that play major roles in the human story is I think out of proportion to their numbers uh, in the human population. And that's the problem of the spirit of the gangster that we've talked about. Now let's talk about the central challenge facing any civilization, creating animal. Okay. Um, Well, one one step that we skipped, and I'm happy to skip it, we can go back to it. I, I think I prove that uh, any creature that steps onto the path of civilization will eventually have the power to destroy itself. And that's got to do with uh, uh, an inevitable gradual increase in the powers of the civilization for this reason and that reason. And so eventually the line will cross. Just to tell you that I, I, I am actually doing the order that you have, which is the central challenge that comes after the central challenge. Okay. Okay, well, the thing is, we're eventually going, and, and we are now in that position. Right. Any, any creature that breaks into civilization, I think I, I can show, will eventually be in the position where the possibility for self-destruction exists. And the options, the, the excluded middle, the muddling through option, you get down to it's either going to be that you get your act together enough that you don't destroy yourselves, for whatever creature, in this case, human beings, but wherever that happens, or you're going to destroy yourself. And so the central challenge is because civilization emerges inevitably in a disordered way. There's, and that's, that's another idea that we've talked about that I don't go into very far here, but it is, it is in the nature of things that if you extricate yourself from the natural order, you plunge yourself into disorder. And, and, and the big, biggest idea in my life is about what the consequences of that disorder are. But chick, stick, skipping that, if you go down that path, it's an unprecedented step. There's going to be anarchy. There's going to be a war of all against all. There's going to be a destructive force that's unleashed into the civilization. And eventually you're going to get so that that, just that civilization that inevitably emerged in a disordered way, can it become ordered before those great powers that they've accumulated are wielded in such a way that they destroy the planet one way or another with the nuclear bomb or with uh, ecological degradation? 
I like how you said in the part in, in the section that we talk about it inevit the inevitability of civilization's eventual ability to destroy itself. You point out something that's important, right? That is that uh, the power can be used benevolently or malevolently. In other words, as an example, nuclear power, we we can use it to generate electricity and, and, and hopefully put away the nuclear waste safely, or we can just use it to create bombs that hurt people. So there's one example of uh, something that we can use our power, the power that we gain from learning how to control the atom negatively or positively. What other aspects of that would you look into? So, so there, there are two factors uh, that, that emerge together. One of them is that, like you said, the uh, uh, remake that first point of view. In other words, that that you know, every every, every uh, you can use a power negatively or positively. You know, you can use a power for goodness right. or evil. So we got two things. Eventually, the species is going to wield enough power that if it is used destructively. It can destroy the whole, the whole right. experiment on life. But the second thing is, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spacing out into the. Uh, no, that that's fine it, because th this is sort of abstract. The, ab the, no, the abstract. But, but it, it is important that the creature is going to un inevitably unleash a destructive force because that's the nature of anarchy in the war of all against all, and. The question is, as it gets the power to destroy itself, will it be able to contain the destructive forces, the kinds of things that would lead to a nuclear war? I mean, in a healthy planet, no two nuclear powers, even if they existed, would be inclined to go for war. If that war occurred and you looked at why did that happen, you would see there were destructive forces at work in individuals, in social systems, in the, in the international arena. What led to World War I? Nothing good. What led to World War II? Nothing good. We can what also say what, what came out of those things. Nothing good. My, I, I, let, let me ask you something. I, I want to I, I postulate it this way. Um, because you talk about, it seems like we ultimately use our power too often to do wrong, right? I sit down as a person Im imagining having ultimate power. Let's say I had ultimate power. Given my, my biological chemistry, I can't see myself harming people. What is, and, and, and by the way, at the same time, I can't see most people who I know harming people. But I do know some who, once they get power, they have a tendency to change and want to use that power and when challenged react to being challenged what's that is well, that humanity is that and what is that it's all many dimensional let let, let me say this I, I think you're right at the at the level of of that most individuals are much more benign than they are malign mm -hmm. um but not everything takes place at the level of the individual. And what we have is a world in which the totality of forces at work are such that we get the world we get, which means that not the, the only thing that's operating is not sort of like what's in people, 
but also in the power systems that are being shaped by a human world that emerged into anarchy and generated this impetus of brokenness that moves through the world. And we've talked about this so that wars and injustices and hatreds and, and psychic uh, uh, trauma are all feeding each other uh, through the generations, a, an impetus that moves through uh, the history of humankind like a tsunami from that initial anarchy, which also, by the way, is, has not been solved. It's, it continues to create trauma like what's happening right now in Ukraine. I have a question for you. This is above my historical pay grade because I'm not a historian. I'm not a, you know, so maybe you can answer this. I hope you can. Are all civilizations known that you know of have these streaks or is it specific to those who have adapted this, uh, you know, some sort of Western or Eastern type civilizations? In other words, those people who are yet to be discovered in some jungle that have fairly good civilizations, do they suffer from the same ills that we who claim to be more advanced have or suffer? Yeah, I think let's, let's look at the, uh, the, how we got from there to here. Uh, we start out as primates going back far enough, that's what we would call our ancestors, uh, who are living like primate bands, uh, sort of hunting and gathering. Uh, um, and then over the course of uh, whatever you want to consider, four million years, uh, mm -hmm. and then maybe two million years, and, you know, Homo sapiens, the last, the, the first sign is 300,000 years ago in some cave in Spain. But anyway, th this thing is coming along, and we're living in a very continuous way. And we probably had a certain uh, variety of um, cultures, but basically the impression I got when I studied this stuff was that these are e egalitarian bands that um, we could look at them and feel probably pretty decent about, oh, we belong to that species. Mm -hmm. Then the, the beginnings of this new experiment of life unprecedented, a creature that extricates itself from the niche in which it evolved biologically by inventing its own way of life. And you've got horticultural villages, and then you get little chiefdoms, and when you're tri building into tribes, you end up with some kingdoms. By the time you get to full-blown civilization, my understanding is, from st having studied, I'll, I'll admit I, this is mostly back in the 70s, but the anthropology showed to me uh, 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 the anthropologists were saying that there were six places on this planet where civilization emerged independently. So something's going on. And, and you know, mostly the river valleys, four of them are river valleys in the old world, and two of them are, are, are areas of circumscribed land in the new world. And wherever they arose, by the time you get to the empire and, and the, uh, you've got You've got kind of the same ugly face. That's what I'm, that was my question. Yeah, you've got, I mean, th there'll be cultural differences. I mean, some, some, some of them may be worse than others, but whether it's the Pharaoh or the, the, the kings of uh, Mesopotamia. Or the or not, yeah. Or the, or the first, or the Incan Empire in, in, uh, in or, Peru. Or the, or, or the Aztec. Uh, 
there, there is, and that was what that my big idea was about, a social evolutionary force has been unleashed because of the anarchy. It's a dynamic of the system, not a function of the nature of the creature. creature. So we are better creatures than our history shows. And that's, that's and my we, big... And we are better creatures because we found that it's better to be better, right? No, we're better creatures because our history has selected for the spirit of the gangster. What emerges out of all those different cultural possibilities that were early on, we didn't immediately get to be the spirit of the gangster shaping civilization. It took some thousands of years. But of all the cultural options that came in, there's a selective process. The people who prevail in the, in the war of all against all, they're the kinds of people who get a disproportionate role. And that connects, though I haven't been able to think this through as clearly as I'd like, but it, con it connects with the fact that you know, a Hitler in Germany or a Stalin in the uh, Soviet Union or a Mao in China, they get to where, or a Saddam in Iraq. These all human monsters I just mentioned, they get there in part for the same reason that the spirit of the gangster dominates the evolution of civilization because of the disorder. And so the central challenge is to recognize the nature of that force that's at work, that, that it feeds white supremacy, it feeds uh, hostilities between nations, it feeds the culture of lying like we see on the right, it feeds fascism in all of its forms. We've got to see that this is, this is a coherent force that is the, the current version of that impetus of brokenness that we stumbled into because we, uh, we, we took the path into civilization, which was a place that nobody had ever been and there was no order to make sure it would work in a life-serving fashion. Actually, you spoke a lot of, about, to some extent, about this cosmic historian, right? Ah, shall we go there? Yes. So, uh, I enjoy this fantasy. I mean, I, I kind of love it. I, I identify with the guy, and I'm going to call it a guy because I identify with it. Um, it. It's somebody, I'm imagining that there, there have been a lot of creatures, you know, out of the six billion planets in the, in the, in the Milky Way and the, and the billions of galaxies. There must be other civilizations that have emerged. I, I don't know that. That's just my gut feeling. I mean, those numbers are so, as I were, astronomical. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm, I'm imagining that this has been tried in a variety of ways. And, um, and, and if I'm right about uh, it being a toss-up, whether we're going to make it or not, and if I'm right in, in believing that we're probably fairly typical of all these creatures on other planets that have tried the same thing, then I'm guessing that there will be some civilizations that got their act together and some civilizations that blew it and destroyed themselves. So um, my uh, hypothetical cosmic historian or cosmic social scientist has a research project. Uh, it's, I, I'd love to see it done. Uh, he's gonna study the two piles, the pile of civilizations that blew it and the pile of civilizations that, got, that rose to the challenge. And, put their, their house in order in time to, to thrive for the long haul. Anyway, he's gonna ask 
he's going to study the case studies, he's going to do some statistical analysis, and he's going to come up with this is what characterizes this, the, this group of the, the successes, and this is what characterizes the failures. And what I propose, of course, this is a fantasy, I don't know, but I believe that the findings would be that the, that the uh, earlier the creature recognized the nature of the challenge, that being civilized entailed, that you have to order the thing in time, the more likely it was to survive. And then secondly, the more it, it directed attention and effort to meeting that challenge, sooner it did, the more likely it was to survive. While on the other hand, those societies that just focused on the immediate problems, of course, they do need to be dealt with, not saying they don't, but who didn't have any serious attention given to the uh, long-term challenge uh, and who, who simply backed into the future, they were likely not to make it. So that, makes a, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, it, it, it is almost as if, uh, if you know that you have a deficiency, you can work on your deficiency because you know you have it. So uh, you come back to reality now. Now that you're back into reality, what do we do? Well, let, let me say, uh, first of all, that I, I find that idea that I just proposed, you know, the findings of, mm -hmm. of the guy, I find it um, sort of weird in a way because in a way it's so obviously true. All three of those things are so obviously true. Yet it feels like a kind of a profound idea. And, and that kind of seems weird. Why should you have to say, of course, you have to pay attention to the, you know, to well, the actually, long because, challenge. you know, what's profound, what, what is something, and this is what I find all the time, and, and I've learned this over time in, in talking to thousands of people, and that is, uh, you can't assume that what is obvious to you is readily obvious to somebody else. Yeah, that, that's it. And, and, you know, the idea, I mean, we've got a culture that, you know, where the, the business world thinks of the future as the next quarterly report. Exactly. And, you know, uh, there, there's something that's interesting because uh, folks used to tell me that, that I write at too much, too high a level, that I need to write on to a third or fourth or fifth grade level. Depends what on I who would, you're trying to reach. Right. But what I'm saying is I'm trying to reach everybody, right? Oh, so, well. so the, the thing about, no, but really, I'm trying to reach everybody. And, and my thing is... Um, but I don't want to bore the person that says, you could have told me that by using these three words instead of those 10 words, right? So there's a balancing act. And what I, what I came personally, what I came about doing is doing a mixed bag, right? Uh, I, I try yeah. to do things in a way that bring folks in and not undermine those who could, not, who, could who will eventually learn, right? Because so we, by, by a mixed bag, do you mean that you... You pitch simultaneously to the um, people who maybe maybe need it to be pitched a little simpler, yeah. and and they get what they get, and you also will pitch uh, the, uh, uh, the the more tricky pitches, right? Uh, that, that the bit more experienced uh, batters are know how to hit. Yes, and let me tell you what I found: in starting simple and then getting a bit more complex as we go along, what happens is that you actually engage the person who would think sim just simply and they, because they like what they've seen before,
they then want to grow. And, I, and, and it's something that I talk to people about all of the time, and that is just assuming people are, we, we have to come to the point where we, 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 we learn how to deal with people and learn that because of everybody's different experiences, we have to find a way to get to them. But we are running close on time, so I need to get to our closer here on your subject here. Which let, is, let me, did you, did you want me to say something? Uh, you sure, ask sure. What, please, please do, please do, yeah. please do. Um, so I say that we should be doing two things at this point. Yes. One is we should be working collectively as a species to the extent that we can do it to ask ourselves, what would a, our civilization look like if it was ordered in such a way that the possibility uh, of our destroying ourselves had been eliminated or at least minimized? Doctor, and that's your last part, right? I mean, the, your, the last part of this, this the, the major last part of this piece is the beneficial effects of knowing and what we are, knowing what we're up against, right? Yes, and in particular, I'm saying we, we should envision our, the destination we need to reach. Even though it's not easy to know the answer, we should be continually working on it. And then ask, what steps can we take now that are wisest and most effective in terms of our desire to get to that destination in time to uh, secure the long-term uh, survival of human civilization? You know, and, and that, that your, your last piece where it says eliminating the current American crisis as a non-trivial component of that battle over the fate of human civilization. Yeah, if, if the fascists get control of this country, which is a serious danger right now, the, 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 the chances of humankind surviving uh, the coming generations uh, takes a serious hit. And, you know, and I, I'm glad that you, you brought that in that context because there are a lot of times when we are talking, we're talking a lot of stuff philosophically and we need to bring it down to what's happening in today's America. And that's what you just did there. The, 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 the people, the, today's Republican Party is unwilling to do anything that makes things better. It is consistently making things worse, everything they touch. It is a remarkable thing. I have not seen the likes of it in any demo, democracy in a major political party. And if they get their way, we will have a fascist regime, probably, you know, Germany in the 1930s. Well, what's it going to be like in America in the 2030s? Well, there is no way that a world with that America in it has the chances to do the necessary constructive things as the world of, uh, of the America that we have known in the post, uh, you know, since, since the FDR was president. You know, we have occasionally been uh, the leader of the free world. We have helped to build what inadequate stuff we have for a, a, a global order based on cooperation and not war. So we have been somewhat accurately described by the late Madeleine Albright as the world's indispensable nation. If the spirit that dominates the Republican Party today is the spirit that we bring to the world stage in the years to come. The destructive forces that, can dis that we have to worry about and overcome will be greatly strengthened. Andy Schmuckler, Dr. Andy Schmuckler, summa cum laude graduate of Harvard University. 
among many other things, radio hosts, etc. Thank you so kindly. Did, did I bring that, that down to a, a level you endorsed? Absolutely, sir. A better human story. Thank you so kindly, Dr. Schmuckler. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.